is because I think sometimes when we go back and we read the book of Acts, we're asking the wrong question. We're looking at the wrong things. And we see that with the debate that goes on over church structure. You know, there's one whole arm of church that says you should be meeting in homes. It's all about house groups and small home groups and that's the biblical model and that's what you should be doing and big churches are no good and they don't fulfil the purpose and it's not God's will. And, 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 and I look at the small house church movement and the truth is there are places in the world where it's thriving, absolutely thriving. God is blessing it. People are getting saved, healed, delivered. It's a wonderful thing. But I've also been uh, involved with and seen house church movements that have just become stagnant little groups of people that are really not having much of an impact Uh, Certainly not the kind of impact I see the church in the book of Acts having in their community, their society, their nations. And then on the other end, you've got people going, no, 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 it's all about big. You need a really, really big church because the more people you've got, the more influence you've got, and the more influence you've got, the more you can do. And and they'll rattle the cage and say, this is how you should do it. And the little house church things are not the right way to go about it. And I look around and I see some really, really big churches. I see some churches doing some fantastic stuff doing some really good stuff. Um, I'll I'll, I'll mention Hillsong just because everybody in the room probably knows Hillsong. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not saying everything they do uh, is, you know, the best model and best way. But what I'm saying is they do some wonderful stuff. You don't hear about it. Well, because media aren't going to publicise the the programs they're doing for kids on the streets and the meals they're feeding the kids who don't get fed and all the wonderful things that the church does. The media in the West aren't out there rattling a cage highlighting the great stuff the church does. It doesn't sell newspapers. It's the stuff when they can catch you in scandal or, or, or moral falling or something. That's what they publicise. But the truth is, some of these big churches are doing some wonderful things. But at the same time, there are other people meeting in, in church buildings and trying to build big churches, and, and maybe it's not going really, really great and thriving and so on. So it doesn't matter what model you look at for church. There's no perfect model. But I think when we... Try to use the Bible to, to say that this is the model that, that was used here to, to justify a particular style of church. I think we're missing the point. The church in the book of Acts didn't do what they did and saw what they saw because of how they structured their church. The question shouldn't be, what did the, the church look like? The real question for us is, who were the church? Who were the people? that this book's talking about. Because it was, it's what's inside these people, when we go back and we look at the church in Acts, it was the people, the people themselves, that created an environment where God was able to do what God did. It nothing to do with structure, nothing to do with big, little, small, you know, how you set up. It's to do with the people. And so if we want to... And, about this, they make statements, go, oh, we want to get back to the church in the book of Acts. We want to be like the Acts church. We want to be like the early church. My problem with that statement is that it creates this conscious mentality that there's an early church and a late church and they're both different. It's just one continuous church. We are members of the church of God that was birthed on the day of Pentecost. Who believes that? We're part of that church. It's not a different church. We're part of a body that was was commenced back then and we're still a part of that. So there's no line marking saying, well, that was then and this is now. No, it's one God, one church, one faith. So we started last week to go back into the book of Acts, not to look at how did they do church, what did they do. We've gone back and we're trying to have a bit of a digger look at who were 
the early church. Who were these people? And last week we, we talked about point number one, they were personally devoted to spiritual growth. These people were personally devoted to spiritual growth. Nobody else had to devote them, to push them, to make them want to have a relationship with God and to build on that relationship. We see uh, on the day of Pentecost when Peter gets up and preaches and at the end of a message which was a very stinging and bold message, this Jesus who you crucified, who you killed, you did this, this is the way he preaches to them. He gets right in their face and says, this, this guy was killed by you. All of you people listening, you did this. I mean, that's hard preaching. But the response he gets is crowd going, what must we do? Personal responsibility. As a result of what we've heard about Jesus Christ, what do we need to do? And so he says, repent of your sins, be baptised and receive the Spirit. And then later on in the very same chapter, we get this tiny window, a glimpse into the church, what they did. And we all know the, the, the four basic habits or the four foundational principles and practices of the church. They met for fellowship, worship, reading of the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, prayer, communion, these foundational things. But what's interesting, it says in, in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to these things. Nobody else devoted them to it. It says they devoted themselves. The New King James Version says they continued steadfastly. Just about every other version translates it more accurately. It says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. It was a personal choice to want to grow in spiritual maturity. It was a personal choice to go, my walk with God is mine, my spiritual life is mine, and I'm going to take personal responsibility and I'm going to devote myself to the things that are going to help me grow spiritually. Instead of people spending all their money and their time and their resource running around trying to devote other people, you can't devote anybody else to something. Who's learnt that in life? Anyone with kids knows that. You cannot devote somebody else to something. You can only devote yourself. And the people we're looking at in the early church, these early believers made a decision to devote themselves to spiritual growth. You know, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people meeting in churches this morning all across our country. You want to know the sad reality? Most people have already decided whether they're going to get anything out of today. Most people have already decided whether their, their life is going to be impacted this morning when they go to church. They've already made their mind up. They've already decided what's going to happen before they even walked in the door. A sense of expectancy, a sense of hope. They've already decided whether their lives are going to be impacted or not because they've already decided before they walk in whether they have devoted themselves to growth. Am I dev if I'm devoted to spiritual growth, let me tell you something. A donkey could preach this morning and I'd get something out of it because I've decided I'm going away with something today. I've decided that I want to hear from God. I've made that decision. I remember years ago when I first got saved, there was this guy, a preacher, and his name was, uh -huh, I'm not going to tell you his name, but what he used to do was every time he preached, he would spit. Spit. There's like a sprinkler going off in the front, you know? And then Lord, word of the Lord and spirit and spin. He was a powerful man of God, don't get me wrong, but then... It got to the point where if I knew he was speaking, I would say to anyone in the front row, wear a raincoat. You've got to wear a raincoat because this guy's just going to... I remember one day he preached a wonderful message. I was really impacted by it and he gave a ministry time. And I really didn't want to get up, but it's like, oh God, this, yes, I can only see this going bad. 
but I've got to respond to you, God. So I came up and said, would you pray for me? And he starts praying for me. I'll pray for And I'm just getting sprayed like I'm under a shower. It was terrible. And so what I did, I thought, I can't stand this anymore, God. So I did the Pentecostal thing. I pushed on my toes, rocked myself backwards, and I fell over. And I thought, there you go. God has touched me. That's got to be enough. Surely you can back off now. Leave me alone. Let God do what he's doing. And so I'm laying there thinking, whew, it's over. I made it. Next thing, he's down here writing, hey, I'm touching the Jesus. I'm touching. And I'm thinking, I can't go anywhere. I can't sink into the earth. He just spat one. But you know, a lot of what that guy taught, a lot of what that guy said is fairly foundational for what I want to talk about today. The second point, when we go back, have a look at the DNA of the early church. First thing we notice is they were personally devoted to spiritual growth. The second thing we notice when we look at the book of Acts and we look for who the people were, we notice this. They depended on the power of God. They were a group of people who were dependent upon the power of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 8 says this. Oh, actually, I forgot I got it. I can do this and make the letters bigger. There you go. That's better than that. the glasses. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. Therefore, when they had come together, this is after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the disciples are there and they're standing with Jesus. It says, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, were you at this restore the kingdom to Israel. I I love that verse. You know why I love that verse? Because it doesn't make me feel so silly. Here these guys are standing with the resurrected Lord. He's done everything he's done. He's taught them everything he can. He's died on a cross. He's been placed in a tomb. He's resurrected. He's standing in front of them and they are still thinking in terms of an earthly kingdom. They still didn't get it. Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, will Israel now have the authority to rule and reign over the Romans? Will we get our place back as a nation? And will we the dominant force? This, they're still... I mean, I, if I was there and I saw that, don't you think there'd be some inclination that maybe he's talking about something a little off to the centre, maybe? But they're still thinking in terms of a natural kingdom. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7. <laughs> and he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Those questions, they're none of your business. This is something, the earthly kingdom, who's going to rule, who's going to reign, it's not the point, it's not the question you need to worry about, it's none of your business. But here's what your business is going to become. Verse 8, he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Don't worry about which natural kingdom's going to rule and reign, which one's going to rise up, which one's going to fall. How many of you know that natural kingdoms rise and fall have throughout human history? Right? At one point, the Romans ruled the world, then the Greeks, then the... the, the, the um, uh, uh, what do you call them? Yeah, Babylonians. Uh, take your pick. There's about five or six... Five or six major nations that ruled and reigned and took over and then were depleted the Persian Empire. Empires come and go. He says, don't worry about all that because that's, that's not what's going to change the world for the glory of God. That's not what I'm about. I'm talking about a different type of a kingdom. He says, here's what you need to worry about. You're going to be witnesses for me. You're going to go out there into the world and you're going to tell everybody what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced. You're going to tell everybody about the cross. You're going to tell everybody that there's now a way to come to the Father, devoid of ritual, devoid of religion. It's all about relationship. It's about embracing 
And Jesus did. He says to them, this is what your job is now going to be. Stop thinking in terms of a natural kingdom. Start thinking in terms of a spiritual kingdom. But he says this, but you shall receive power. That Greek word power is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we, we get our modern word dynamite comes from the, from, from the root word dynamite. Now, when you think about dynamite, what do you think about? I think about fishing. Uh, you know, Paul Hogan chucked dynamite in the harbour there in America and blowing up the fish. But um, dynamite, explosive power. It's something outside of ourselves. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. You shall receive power. You'll receive ability beyond your natural self. That's what he's talking about. There's an ability that I want to give to you that is outside of your natural skill set. That's outside of your natural ability. That's outside. I want to give you wisdom that's outside your natural intellect. I want to give you perspective that's outside your own experience. He says, I want to come and give you something that's beyond yourself, that's outside of yourself. You shall receive this kind of ability when the Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be witnesses. In other words, he's saying this. To do what I will call you to do, or to bracket it, to be the church that God wants us to be. To be the church that God wants us to be. To be the church as God sees it. How many of you remember back in Matthew 16, I think it is verse 18, Jesus makes this statement to Peter. He says, I will build my what? I don't think he said that. I'll build my... He said, I'll build my church. I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't say the gates of hell won't come against it. Of course they will. Because the enemy comes against anything that God is doing. The enemy will come against any believer that wants to grow. If you make the decision, draw a line in the sand, I'm going to spiritually grow and I'm committed to that, let me guarantee you the first thing that's going to happen is not lights and fluff and fairy floss and goosebumps. Probably the first thing that's going to happen is going to be pressure. You're going to feel the enemy come and say, well, I'll, if you're going to try to advance the kingdom, I'm going to hold you back. Because if you're going to sit there and do nothing about the kingdom, well, I can't stop you from being saved. You're saved. But, I, you know, but if you're happy to be lethargic or apathetic or whatever about your faith and the kingdom, well, you're not a threat to me, so I'll leave you alone. I can't take your salvation off you, but you're not, I'm not going to distract and waste my time on you. I'll be over here with the people that want to go forward. I'm over here with the people that want to grow. I'm over here with the people that want to embrace kingdom and live out kingdom values. So Jesus didn't say the gates of hell won't come against. He just said the gates of hell won't prevail. In other words, what he was saying was, the church that I'm building, the gates of hell will come against it. It definitely will. But now, the, now, now if I want to build my own church, the Alan Kirchin church, it may not be a spiritual threat. So the devil might not care about that because it's my church. It's got no power. It's running in my ability, with my authority, with my power. It's not much. Might be able to run fast, pull a hammy, <laughs> two hammies. I could pull three hammies, my body's going that way at the moment. I haven't even got three. But um, it's not my church. But Jesus says, the church I'm building, the gates of hell will come against it, but they won't prevail. It'll punch on and it'll go through. So he says, to do what I will call you to do, you're going to need more than what you currently have. To do all that I've called you to do, you're going to need more than you currently have. And let's keep it in perspective. These guys he's talking to had a bit. They had a bit. They had three years of walking planet Earth with Jesus himself. 
That's pretty cool. It's pretty impacting. It's pretty impressive. They had countless miracles stored up inside of them. They could, they could get up in a church and, and preach 24-7 for, for a year and just pull out story after story. Remember when Jesus healed that one? Remember when he opened the eyes? Remember, remember? They could do that. I mean, they had a fair bit. They, they sat under the most profound teacher the world has ever seen. They were sitting in the front row when Jesus was teaching and preaching. Not only that, they had exclusive audience with him at times where he just spoke to them and told them things that other people couldn't yet understand. And the very last verse of the book of John goes on and it says that if, if everything Jesus did was recorded, there would not even be enough room in the world to contain the books that would be written. So these guys were privy to all this stuff, way more, way more than what we read about in here. Way more. They saw the authority of Jesus as he rebuked demonic spirits and cast them out of people and changed people's lives. They saw all this stuff. They experienced all this stuff. And now to top it off, they're literally standing face to face with the resurrected Jesus. This is after being crucified, buried, resurrected. They're standing face to face with him. I mean, they've got the whole package. But even with all that, Jesus still says to them, wait, wait, because you haven't got what you need to be the church I'm envisioning. Because the church I'm envisioning is going to operate out of something greater than itself its experiences, its own ability, its own wisdom. It's going to tap into something supernatural and live at a level beyond the normal level. Beyond that. Think about it for a second. These guys that had all that experience and wisdom and time, and yet Jesus still said to them, you guys, you still got to wait for me to release power upon you, to place the Holy Spirit upon your life and to release power through you. That's an awesome thought. First thing he said to them, that he wanted them to know that they're going to need supernatural power, wisdom, insight in order to fully function as the church that he promised to build. Now, if we don't want to be the church that God envisioned, we don't need any of that. Okay, we can just have slick, you know, music and great musicians. We could, we could, get, we could hire some fantastic musicians. Not that we need to now. We've got these guys here, Jeff and Christy. I mean, that, that worship this morning, that was amazing. I loved it. I could each week go and find a fantastic, uh, a charismatic speaker and, you know, flick him some money and say, you get up and open a Bible and just speak to us. Make sure you're funny, tell some jokes. People love jokes and we'll build a big crowd. I'd go and get the businessmen and I could start schmoozing all the business people. Get all your money. We'll build big buildings and we'll have all the technology. You don't need necessarily need God to do all that. You could, you could go that way. So that's how I'm going to build my church. It's just going to be a really fantastic time. We're going to laugh together. We're going to have fun together. But you know, the church is meant to be more than that. The church as Jesus Christ envisioned it, the church that Jesus hung on a cross, bled and died for, was more than just a nice bunch of people who had a really nice place to meet, had a really nice few songs and a nice presentation of, of a message. It was more than that. It was a supernatural body of people. It was a people that would tap into the resources of heaven, not just the resources they have access to here on earth, would believe and tap into that and would dare to step out in faith and trust God and do things that are beyond 
in their natural ability. That's the church that Jesus died for. That's the church in the heart of the Father that he was thinking of when he sent his son to the cross. That's the church Jesus is thinking of when he says to his disciples, you're going to need more than what you've currently got to do what I want you to do. If you want to be the church of planet Earth and impact the world and get them to see the goodness of God and the reality of an invisible God, if you want them to think that that is it's more important and, and, and more beneficial to pray and to read the word and to fellowship and to seek his face than it is to go to the beach and surf on a Sunday morning or do the, or if you want the world to really believe that you're going to need more than what you have within yourself because what we have in ourself is limited what we have in God is unlimited it's unlimited resource that he gives us access to and he says right from the very start before the church even takes off the first thing i want you to know people is you need the power of god upon you we go further on in Acts chapter 2 and Peter gets up and he preaches his very, very first message. And what does he say at the end of that when the people cry out and they say, what must we do to be saved? He says, repent. Turn away from your sins. Make a choice to turn away from that stuff that's not pleasing to God. Repent of your sins. Be baptised. Baptism in the, in the New Testament. But, but, you know, sometimes in churches today we do the, all the call, put your hand up. You might have been to a church like that, put your hand out and you walk forward and, you know, it's like your public coming forward of your faith. Well, in, in, in New Testament times, and as it's still in a lot of cultures now, we lived in India for years, and one of the things in India was, was we wouldn't do, I don't care about you putting your hand up and that, the real coming forward was the baptism. Because we weren't baptising people in little pools inside a building, we were doing it out there in the marketplaces, in the streets, in the rivers where everybody could see. And when they got to that point where they decided, I'm going after Christ, I don't care what anyone thinks, they would come out and we would baptise them. We'd have buffaloes walking around us while we're trying to baptise people. We'd put them down, bring them up. They'd have free heads. The water was that gross, you know. But that's what baptism was. He says, be baptised. And then he says this. He says, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. What was the significance of the Holy Spirit? It was like Jesus said, you're going to receive power to do what I'm calling you to do as the church when the Spirit comes upon you. And the very first evangelistic message, the first birthing of the church where 3,000 people are saved, um, Peter says the same thing to those people. He says, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, he says, it's not just for you, it's for you and your kids and your grandkids and everyone who will believe is afar off. Right down to you and me sitting here in this place today, Jesus says, we need the power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to be the people that he wants us to be and be the church that he wants us to be. We can't do it in our own resource, intellect and ability. We need to believe God, tap into God and draw on supernatural resource from heaven to achieve what we need to achieve. Don't answer me this question, but when we prayed today for the building, we're speaking to an invisible God. I couldn't see him. I don't know if any of you saw him while we were praying. I didn't see his face. We're praying against an invisible ceiling that's there that we feel might be standing against what God's trying to do. I didn't see it. I didn't see anything there. Were we just speaking words into an air, hoping that maybe something might happen coincidentally because we said something? Or do we believe that we're tapping into something beyond ourselves, something supernatural outside of ourselves? Because that's the way that God wants the church to live, to realise that there's more to this life and more to this world than just this there's a supernatural aspect to god and the early church believed in the power of god they were told about it the minute they got saved and they were reminded about it all throughout the book of acts we see them getting reminded that there's more to this than just what you've got 
was the Holy Spirit upon them. Now, I know, I know this. When I, when, whenever people talk about this stuff, there's all kinds of reactions from people, you know? Uh, I remember years ago when we lived in India and there was a, 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 a guy, an uh, evangelist that, that came over. We used to host different people from around the world. They would come to India. We would host them, help them set up meetings and things. And this Canadian evangelist came and he got up. And I remember one night getting really, really angry at God, actually, because he would get up and he would say at the end of his message, anybody uh, want to be healed, then you come forward and Jesus will heal you. So what he say? He will heal you. And I, at first, thought, yeah, bold, that's great, wonderful. People would come forward and they'd get prayed for and nothing would happen, they'd walk away. Next night, I'd come and we'd get ready in this massive, massive, big stadium, uh, paddock stadium thing and the people would come in and I'd be looking and I'd go, that lady there, I saw her walk in last night with a twisted leg and she went up for prayer last night and was told she would be healed and she wasn't. She's back tonight. This happened a second, a third. By the fifth night, I remember jumping on my motorbike, riding home at the end of it through the back streets of, of Nagpur where we lived and getting angry at God and saying to God, how dare this man, how dare this man come over here to this country where, where I was living at the time and thought I would spend the rest of my life. How dare you come here and you make false claims like that and give God a bad name and make people think this about God. How dare you do that? And here's what God said to me. This is what the Lord said. He said, Al, what's, what's the reality of it? And I said to God, I'm just having this conversation as I'm riding on my bike. I said, well, the reality is some people are going to get healed tonight and some aren't. I don't know why that happens, but that's generally been my experience. Some people get healed, and we, I, we saw hundreds of healings, not just in that there, but in our ministry time over there, and yeah, hundreds of healings. Some people got healed, some people didn't. He said, that's exactly right. So he said, I want you to think about this. What if that man got up and said, tonight, everybody, some of you are going to get healed and some of you aren't. He said, what category do you think people have put themselves in? And I thought, well, if it was me, I'd straight away put myself in the I won't get healed tonight category. Then God said to me, what sort of faith do you think that would create? What sort of environment would that create for me to move? So I had to humbly go, okay, well, God, I'm sorry. I repent, you know, God, you do whatever you're doing. And he does whatever he does between you and him. But the thing is, when we talk about the power of God, we've all had experiences. And some of us cringe and some of us back away. Here's the thing. We cannot allow negative experiences. We cannot allow flaky people or quirks. We cannot allow any of that to dictate a theology on the power of God to us, we must go to the Bible. We have to allow the Word of God to dictate theology to us, not human experience, not, not people who are on extreme levels. We've always got to come back to this book and have a look and bring balance. And that's what I was not doing. I was getting angry at this guy because of what was going on. But when I come back to this book, I go, no, no, God, I, 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 I can't throw the towel in and say it doesn't happen. Just because this woman didn't get, you know, God, you are a healing God. You're a powerful God. There's supernatural power. So we've got to come back to the word of God when we talk about topics like this. We talk about the power of God. I'm very aware of the different mentalities and experiences you've had. What I'm just wanting to say to us this morning is that the DNA of the early church was that they lived with an awareness that there was a power that existed outside of them that they had access to. And if we want to achieve what we need to achieve as a church and be the people we want... See, if we don't think like that, it's like point one. If I don't have a responsibility for my own spiritual growth, but I read that book, the conclusion I come to is, well, God, am I really... I, I, I don't think I'm the church that you're envisioning. Because the people you're envisioning took responsibility for personal. So if I don't, I'm not sure that I am there. So I've got to make some adjustments and changes. And, and same with this. If I don't have an expectation of the power of God, then, then, then Lord, I've, I've got to do some work here and find out what's going on. 
It's clear to me that the early church lived with an awareness of the power of God. What happens is this. Go to Mark chapter 6 for a second. Mark chapter 6. We've all heard this story before. It's when Jesus goes back to his hometown. And the Bible says that he went back there and he was teaching and sharing and walked in there with the power of God, the Son of God. Went out from there, came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this that's given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hand? So he's preaching and, and they're also aware that, man, there's been some, some miraculous things that have taken place through this guy. And then they say this in verse 3, Is this not the carpenter, son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Jesus says that a prophet's not without honour except in his own country, among his own relatives, in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marvelled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in the circuit teaching. Here's Jesus, the Son of God. He goes back to his own place, and they go, hang on, we grew up with him, we know who he is, and so on. And Jesus marvelled at their unbelief. So that, that, their unbelief, that environment of unbelief, stopped the very Son of God, from doing what he wanted to do. And that's an amazing thing, isn't it? That's the power of faith and unbelief, that, that we can create environments where God is free to move and do what he wants to do. We can also have the power to create environments in our world where God can't. That's the authority over my life that God has given me. I can create these environments. And that's what we're talking about, being the people, the church that God wants us to be as individuals, as people. Because the more we line up with that, it creates an environment where God is free to do what God wants to do. But here's the thing. He marveled at their unbelief, but unbelief was not the problem. Unbelief was just the fruit. You know what the real problem was? Familiarity. It was familiarity. We know Jesus. We know his family. We know his brothers, his sister. I mean, we grew up with the dude. We, they got familiar with Jesus. And as a result of the familiarity, they forgot who they were talking to. They forgot who was in their midst. They forgot who they were standing in front of. Let me ask you a question. Are you overly familiar with prayer? When you pray, do you remember who you're talking to or is it just a really familiar exercise that we go through now? See, we can become really, really familiar with the things of God. Prayer is just the thing we do. It's just I throw my words up. Or do you ever, when you're praying, stop and go, hang on a second, I'm actually about to speak to the one who said, let there be, and there was. You know, the, 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 the ancient Jews, they... they even say the name of God because of the reverence they had for him. They wouldn't even mouth his name. You actually, you jump online now. I, I, I do this when I do research and study for messages. You jump online, you go to any of the Jewish um, scholars and stuff and, and it'll be blank where the name of God is. They won't even write his name because there's such reverence for God. When you pray, are you aware of the supernatural transaction, who you're speaking to? 
because we can get familiar. When we worship, do we think about who we're singing to? When we did worship today, what was our primary focus? What, were we in awe during worship at the thought that we could sit here in Ganella Bar and open our mouth and sing words to God and that he would presence himself and that he would listen to us? That's awesome. But we can become really familiar with worship. It's just another it's part of our Sunday morning routine. We just do worship, you know. When we read the Bible, do we realize what we're reading? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration of God. It literally means all scripture is God-breathed. That book you're holding in your hand, God spoke to people, moved upon the writers, and they penned as they were inspired by God. And it's been tried to be wiped out for centuries. Nations have tried to burn every single copy they have. Regimes have risen up to destroy that word so that people in, the, in whole nations did not have access to it. They've tried to take this book away from planet Earth, but it has prevailed. And here we are now, in this room now, probably with 20 copies sitting in here. Are we too familiar? Do we get too familiar with the things of God? See, what happens when we get too familiar? We stop expecting. We stop expecting. When we gather together, are we expecting more than just a good program or good conversations? Are we expecting more than just nice coffee and fantastic morning tea, which, by the way, nailed it. Really good. But are we expecting more than that? You see, here's the thing. When the church loses a sense of awe for the supernatural, we really become nothing more than just another club full of nice people. We just become a club full of nice people. We were not called to be a club full of nice people. And I just want to throw that thought out this morning. You know, before we start church, quite often I'll ask the question, yeah, are you expecting, are you expecting? It's not just a question I'm throwing out. I'm, I'm meaning it. When, when, when we gather together, when we pray, are, we, are we expecting to have contact with the supernatural God? When somebody's sick, is our first thought, let's give them Panadol? Or do we think, let me pray for you? Because I realize I can't do nothing within myself because my hands are just flesh and bone. But I do realize that I'm tapped into a supernatural power bigger and greater than myself. And so I'm going to step out in faith and expect that God is going to do something on a pray for you. When I'm under pressure and stuff's going wrong in my house, do I want to argue with my wife on a human level and go, no, we're going to fall? Or are we smart enough to step back and go, hang on a second. There's a supernatural transaction. There's stuff happening to you outside this natural world. Let's pray. Let's push back. Let's take the authority given us by God and let's push back on that. Let's exercise that supernatural power of a supernatural God and push back on that. Put some pressure back. When we pray, do we get up after we pray and from that moment on, we're walking around our life, our day, our place with an expectation that the answer's coming. So when it happens, oh, yep, I knew it. I was waiting for it. I see it. I wonder how many times we pray and then we totally miss the answer because when we get up after praying, we're not expecting it. So we can walk 
straight past it. We don't, anyone ever go to buy a car? And you, you research, you go, I want a, a, a canary yellow Toyota Trago. If you did, I want to pray for you at the end of church. That's a bad decision. But let's say, for example, you were, you were that person and you researched and you studied, you got the prices and, and, and you're on eBay and carsales.com and everything. And ever notice when you do that and then you go for a drive downtown, you see yellow, canary yellow Taragos everywhere. And you've never really noticed them before, but now every second car you're seeing is always been there. You've driven past them all the time, but you've never noticed them because you weren't expecting it. You weren't thinking about them. And I think prayer can be like that sometimes. We pray, and if we're expecting the answer, we pick it up, we see it, and we're straight away, thank you, Jesus, that's the answer. But when we're not, we just sort of pray. We all know the story in the book of Acts where I think it was, was um, Paul, might have been Paul or Peter, one of them in prison. You know the story? And, and they held a prayer meeting in a house and they prayed for them. In the middle of the night, the Bible says that an angel came and opened up the prison door. And, and Peter, I think it was, comes out and he thinks it's still a dream. He doesn't even realise this is really happening. And he gets it. Next thing you know, he's standing in front of the street and he comes to himself and goes, oh, wow, that's cool. Takes off down the road, pulls a hammy. <laughs> stops, gets someone to pray for him, healed, goes... And he comes to a house and he knocks on the door where the prayer meeting's going on. And the Bible says a little servant girl answers, comes up to the door and she says, who is it? And he says, it's Peter. And she's so pumped and so excited that she runs back inside the house to the prayer meeting and says to all the adults, Peter, he's at the door, he's at the door. And they go, no, it can't be Peter. He's in prison. We're praying for his release. <laughs> read it. You go and read it. They say, no, it can't be Peter. Must be his angel. Must be something else. This little girl didn't even open the door and she had more faith. She said, no, it's got to be, we, we prayed for Peter. And then he's knocking at the door and they go, no, can't be him because we're praying for him. He's in prison. Well, what are you praying for? What is the point? God's answering your prayer right there. But because you're not expecting an answer, you've got the guy out the front door. You haven't even opened the door and let him in yet. He's in the cold with his hammy. <laughs> Open the door. You know? And we can be like that. We can pray, but we lose that sense of the supernatural about what's going on with, with our spiritual lives and the answers are flying, but we totally miss them and we just go on. The church that Jesus envisioned in Matthew 16 when he said, I'll build my church, that church was a church, it was a movement of individuals, of people who believed in and depended upon the power of God. Amen? And we, if we want to be that church, we need to stir ourselves up when it comes to the things of God. We need to stir ourselves up when it comes to the power of God. You are going to get up from this place today and you are going to walk out of this room. And you're going to go out there into a natural world. You're going to go out there into a world that's going to throw things at you, come against you, <coughs> have expectations on you and so on. Now you're going to do one of two things. You're going to go out for the next seven days and you are going to battle along best you can with every ounce of resource you have. Your own wisdom, your own intellect, your own supernatural power, your own strength, your own insight and perspectives. You're going to go out there and do the best you can. And I'll guarantee you in seven days' time, you will not have built anything into the church as God sees it because God says that the people that follow me, my people, are dependent upon something more than that because to do what I want you to do is going to require more than you're currently having. So you're going to go out there and do it yourself or you're going to make a choice right now and it's a choice. 
that we tap into by faith. By faith. If you have repented of your sins in this place this morning and you have made the decision to put Jesus Christ first, if you have made the choice to walk away from that life and surrender yourself to God, if you have made the choice to look at the cross and go, that happened for me. That happened for me. I accept that Jesus died on that cross, not for anything wrong he did, but because of what I did. If you accept that fact, then the promise of the Bible is that God will give his spirit to you. He will place his spirit inside of you. He will give you access to a supernatural dimension of life. When you get up from here this morning and when we walk out of here, I want to challenge you. Say it to yourself. You might feel like an idiot. But when you walk out that front door, I want you to say to yourself, if you've got to say it out loud, I'll amen you. I'll high five you. I don't care what you've got to do. Remind yourself. Remind yourself. I'm filled with power by the Spirit of Almighty God. I am filled with power by the Spirit of Almighty God. Because I'll guarantee you this, if you don't tell yourself that, the world out there are not going to tell you. They are not going to tell you. Not because they're bad, but because they don't believe it. I believe I am filled with power by the Spirit of God. I believe when we gather to worship that the presence of God is here. I believe every time I walk in the doors of church that God's going to speak to me. Matter of fact, I believe every time I open up my Bible, God wants to say something to me. I believe every time I pray, God is going to answer yes, no, maybe, not now. God, I'm not telling God how to answer, but I believe that God listens because he's my heavenly father and he hears me. I believe when I'm confronted with things where the enemy is coming against me, that there's power and authority given to me, invested in me by heaven, by God, that I can stand against that stuff and I can push it back. I believe that when I see a sick person, that I have the authority and the opportunity to lay hands on them in the name of Jesus and to pray for the healing power of God to flow through them. I don't heal them. I'm not a healer. God is. But I will create the environment where he has the opportunity to do exactly what he wants to do because that's what the church is. It's the environment and the place where God is free to do what he wants in us and also through us by his power and by his spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, uh, again this morning, God. Uh, God, as we're talking this morning, we can get familiar with so many things, God, and we can get familiar with just sitting here. We can, we can, we're going to go to at least 52 of these. Well, probably not, 2.4%. Uh, 2.4 times a month. We're going to go to at least 30 of these this year, God. We're going to gather together. And Lord, I, I, I pray that we would not waste a single moment by sitting here in unbelief. We would not waste a single moment by gathering together with no expectation, by gathering together with no sense that you want to speak to us, that you want to touch us, that you want to move through us. God, that we would not waste a single meeting sitting here thinking we're just a nice gathering of integrous, honourable people but that we would gather together with full expectation that you want to move, you want to do things, you want to empower us. God, you want to fill us so we can go out there into the world and not live out of our own resources, not struggle because we can't think well or we don't have the answers or we don't have the ability. But God, that we would tap into you, tap into your spirit and that we would be the people that you saw when you said, I will build my church. That's our prayer this morning, God. And Father, we just say again, we thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross. 
for without that, we really don't have much hope, God. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. 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 God bless. Uh, we'll see you in connect groups this week. We, if we don't, we'll see you maybe here Sunday. We'll see you in other places, maybe coffee shops. I don't want to see anyone in prison. Um, I'm going to hang around front here, me and Jackie. If anything that God's spoken to you today, you'd like prayer for anything, uh, we'd love to pray with you before we go. Other than that, have a fantastic rest of your day. Make sure you support the West Tigers at four o'clock. Um, the Lord above knows they need it. <laughs>